Welcome to another edition of the TDN Writers Room Podcast. My name is Bill Finley. I'm a correspondent for the TDN. And I also co-host the Down the Stretch Radio Show with Dave Johnson on Sirius XM Radio. I'm Randy Moss with NBC Sports, uh, singing baritone today. I'm a little bit under the weather, but uh, all systems go. I like that deep, husky voice, Randy. Mm-hmm. I'm, <laughs> I'm Zoe Cabman with XBTV and First Racing and delighted to be here on a Tuesday. And we want to remind you that each and every week we're brought to you by our good friends at Keeneland. Well, it was a special week for our team, the TDN Writers Room podcast, as we were awarded an Eclipse Award for the podcast in the multimedia category and specifically It was for our interview with Wade Yost, whose son, Carson, has the same uh, disability that Cody Dorman had called Wolf Hirschborn Syndrome. They named a horse after him. West Point Stable named a horse after him by name Carson's Run. He did very well. He ran in the Breeders' Cup, and it was a very emotional story. So before we comment on it, why don't we just show you a few minutes of the podcast interview. If you want to catch the whole thing, you can certainly find it on the TDN website. And Wade, generally, you know, what has this been like for your family? I I can't imagine how good it must feel to have some good news and a positive story Uh, come out of all this. It's been emotional as I already start to, my voice breaks right now. Uh, We, we just want to do something for Carson. Um, He's never walked. uh, And, uh, this is an opportunity to um, give him some focus, give him some limelight. You know, we have four children and um, the other three were really good athletes or are really good athletes. They're all grown now. But uh, he was always going and, and with us to their events to um, uh, as they competed in the various sports and was always in the background. Um, yet he's always been uh, one of our focuses. And so we just... Terry and I have been talking for over a decade about this, um, the possibility of, of doing something in his honor. And um, the, the timing was just right with, with what was going on this year with a variety of things. Carson uh, just turned 31. Um, uh, he wasn't supposed to be with us and, and uh, supposed to have passed early in life. But uh, mainly because uh, I'll give all the love to his mother, uh, who has constantly taking care of him as uh, I completed my military career, as I've gone into business. And um, we've just been very fortunate that he is who he is living in his own little world. Um, As you can see right now, he just, he's happy, uh, relatively healthy and uh, exceeded all our expectations. But we just, uh, it was one of those things where like, okay, let's give him some limelight. Um, And it was more of uh, just living vicariously through something an animal uh that can you know actually run um he's been confined to a wheelchair since day one and um it's uh just a a phenomenal thing that terry and and west point thoroughbreds has done for us um and the fact that carson's run has had the successes he has had 
to date uh, is uh, just an added uh, smile on our face. It, it just makes us happy that uh, we can live vicariously uh, through it this way. And Carson gets to um, experience something, uh, at least visually, that he could, can't do physically. The one thing we love about horse racing is the stories and the people that it encompasses. So I'm really looking forward to it. Hopefully I'll get to meet you at Breeders' Cup uh, along with the Dorman family. But I, I want to take you back. You're a guy who firmly wears his heart on his sleeve. How was that very first win for you, watching a horse named for your son? You just wanted to honor him with a name to be a four-legged athlete. How was that feeling for you watching him cross the finish line? Not once, but twice, but three times. Like that's got to be pretty amazing. Yeah, now you're going to see my heart on my sleeve again. Um, just seeing his name in print and seeing the horse trot out um, and, and uh, the manner in which they did. Uh, I don't know what I was expecting uh, as, as uh, my wife and, and Carson were sitting here um, waiting for it to start. And they got in the gate and... Uh, I'll say I was kind of numb at first because you're like, okay, this is this has already exceeded all our expectations. And then the manner of which um, Carson's ran run had run the race, and then to see it repeated, you know, for the other two, especially this last one, where you know Carson's always in the back of the pack. Carson's always the one who's just there with everybody else, and. Uh, to see him slingshot around the corner and, and you know, come back and, and uh, be in the winner's circle, be in second place, be just competing, uh, continues to be overwhelming for me personally. On the scale of importance way, this is pretty far down the pecking order, but I'm, I'm just curious. I know you've, your friendship with Terry Finley, have you been an avid follower of horse racing or are you now just really getting an introduction into this particular world? I'm just now getting an introduction. I, I will say that I've fair, followed Terry um, since the beginning of West Point Thoroughbreds when he first got involved and he, and he left the military. Um, mainly in the beginning because he made a point to to make sure that we were okay. Um, he would ask every time I saw him, you know, how's Carson? And a lot of our friends... Um, were very apprehensive in the beginning because he wasn't supposed to be with us. So every time, especially in the military, you see everybody maybe once a year, Army, Navy game, football game, or some event, some reunion, but you don't see him that much because you're all over the world. Um, and so when I'd see him, uh, there was just apprehension. You know, do I ask about Carson? Uh, wonder if he's still alive. Never with Terry. Terry was always, that was the first thing he asked. He pulled me aside. And we have this emotional aspect, um, and, that, and that's priceless. Well, once again, a very touching interview with Wade Yost. And uh, I, I have so much to say about this, but first of all, I want to thank the people who worked on it because you see every week uh, Zoe 
Randy and myself, we're the, the face of the podcast. And I think we all do uh, deserve a pat on the back. I think we do a terrific job. But this never could have happened without the people that work so diligently behind the scenes, including our co-producers, Katie Petruniak and Anthony LaRocca, our editors, uh, Leah LaRocca and Nathan Wilkinson. So this is a, a genuine team effort. And of course, it would have been possible if not for Wade Yost, who is just, uh, he's a tough old soldier who fought in, in uh, the Gulf War. But when it comes down to talking about his son, you can see how emotional he gets. And he's a cream puff. And uh, we thank him so much for sharing his story with us and our viewers. Yeah, we're grateful for the Eclipse Award and for the recognition. And, uh, you know, we'll accept it enthusiastically. Uh, the people that work behind the scenes really are the uh, are the ones here that uh, that you know, deserve a lot of the accolades, as you said. But you know, when you look back on it, after we finished that podcast, I don't think any of the three of us walked away saying, "Wow, what an amazing podcast!" We asked such insightful questions. What a great job we did! Right? <laughs> this was all about. The subject matter, you know, we didn't get the Eclipse Award for anything the three of us did on that podcast. That was strictly the story told and the emotion shown by Wade Yost with Carson right over his shoulder. It was an amazingly emotional podcast, as anybody who saw it or who will see it uh, will attest. <clears throat> and that's what won the Eclipse Award. That's the Yosts really are the ones that deserve the Eclipse Award um, and the people behind the scenes that worked on it. And that's why we all had a conversation when we found out we won the Eclipse Award. And what we're going to do, the right thing to do, is when we get the Eclipse Award trophy, is to send it to the Yost family so they can put it on their trophy shelf uh, because it's their story that really made it possible. Absolutely. And I would... And actually like to be there when they receive that trophy, because this story is bigger than all of us, like all of us put together. It just shows you the the love of horses and just all of the stories that encompass this great land of horse racing that we all find ourselves in. I mean, I always say that the fences aren't to keep people out, it's to keep us in. And that's exactly what happened. It, it's all because of the horses. And we wouldn't be sitting here. We wouldn't have talked to Wade and, and Carson Yost without first talking about the horses. And it truly does belong to the Yost family, this Eclipse Award, and also Carson's Run and all the horses out there that make everything possible. I'm truly delighted to be a small part of it. And... Uh, we just have to admit that this is bigger than all of us. Want to remind you that the TDN Writers Room is brought to you by Keeneland and kudos to all those people that went to Keeneland and made it a great, great sale. It was a little bit chilly there, I have to admit, but it got off to the best start in five years when two mares reached the seven-figure mark in the opening session on Monday. John Magna's 19-year-old grandson, Tom Watchman, took home the highest price mare when he went to $1.6 million for the broodmare prospect and TDN rising star prank on behalf of his grandfather. You know, his blood had to be curling there, bidding to 
million dollars. Carlin's Voyage also sold for a million dollars. We'll be right back after this message from Keeneland. At Keeneland, a horse will always be measured in hands. Hands that see, that sense, that speak. Hands that hold our sport to a higher standard. Not for our sake, but for theirs. For the love of the horse. For generations to come. Jack Gates Warrior makes his move on the outside. Elite power on the far outside. And Elite Power gets up to win the sprint. Elite Power is moving clear. And going to take the rear dirt sprint by a widening margin. Five, five, all the bidding. It needs a medium up down and down. Nine, nine hundred. And nine hundred pounds in. The TDN Writers' Room is brought to you by Elite Power. What's new at Jubmont this year? I'll tell you what's new. It's Elite Power, new for 2024. The Breeders' Cup winner and champion sprinter and soon-to-be two-time champion sprinter. And why, are you asking? Well, I'll tell you why. He ran the fastest Bayer Speed figure of all the 2023 Breeders' Cup winners, all of them. He was the fastest of all of them with 111. He also posted the fastest rag number, which was a zero. That's hard to do. And he's a two-time winning Breeders' Cup Sprint champion and a winner of nine of his last 10 races. He is a Horse of the Year candidate. His name is Elite Power. Randy, who's the fastest Horse of the Week? Well, the fastest horse of the week happens to be uh, California bred. But uh, first of all, let's talk about the Stallions, the fast sires at Windstar Farm, which uh, helps bring you the TD and Riders Room every week. And this particular segment, one of the sires at Windstar Farm that's really hot right now, Constitution. We knew his two-year-olds were good last year, and they're carrying that over to their three-year-old season as well, such as Catching Freedom, the winner of the Smarty Jones Stakes at Oakland on New Year's Day for trainer Brad Cox. He was a $575,000 Keeneland purchase. He now has 10 points on the road to the Kentucky Derby, and it was quite a stylish win if you haven't seen it. But also, Born Noble at Gulfstream Park, a TD and Rising Star who won his debut for trainer Todd Pletcher by five and a half lengths, 93 buyer speed figure, the Sprite racing uh, green as grass through the lane. He is also a son of Constitution, who of course stands again at Windstar Farm. Now the fastest horse of the week, Saturday, Santa Anita, allowance race, six and a half furlongs, big city lights, wins impressively with a buyer speed figure, the weak high, of 99, owned by William Peoples, trained by Richard Mandela, and Mandela admitted that the key to getting big city lights into the winner's circle was to find a race where the chosen Vron wasn't entered. Big city lights had come off four consecutive second place finishes to fellow Calbred, the chosen Vron and Calbred Stakes Company. And now his next scheduled start, they penciled in the Palos Verdes Stakes for Big City Lights, hoping, of course, that the chosen Braun will stay against California Bread Company. Some big news out of Maryland last week as the Maryland Thoroughbred Racetrack Authority issued its report about the future of Maryland racing and a lot going on here. Um, let me just touch on the main things 
that are going to happen um, under this report and this plan. First of all, they're going to turn Maryland Racing into something along the lines of what Naira is right now. It's going to be run by a quasi-public, quasi-private uh, organization, which will run the racetracks um, as, as a nonprofit. Um, Laurel Park is going to be closed down. They're going to rebuild Pimico and put all the money that they have into Pimico to bring it up to speed as a modern state-of-the-art racetrack. Uh, somewhere along the lines, they're going to have to build a training center. Maybe it would even be at Laurel, uh, because they uh, do not have enough space, obviously, at Pimico for an, all, all the horses. This figures to start in 2025, and then the Preakness will be run at Laurel till 2027. So how about this, Randy? The, uh, the way things are going now, the 2025 Triple Crown will be the Kentucky Derby at Churchill Downs, the Preakness at Laurel, and the Belmont at wow. Oga. How about that? Um, there's 400 million available, which was uh, made available several years ago for a restructuring of the Maryland racetracks at the time that they were looking to uh, build Laurel as the main track going forward. But that uh, did not go over well with the politicians in the state that believe that uh, Pimico must thrive and prosper because of the Preakness. Also, the Stornet Group will retain the ownership of the Preakness and the Black Eyed Susan. A ton going on there. But I think by and large, it's kind of a win-win for everybody. Um, the Stronach Group um, was, you know, making hints that Maryland was not a good go for them. They were losing money. Uh, Pimico was in, in terrible condition. It needed to be updated. Um, and we needed to fix many problems going forward in, in uh, uh, Maryland racing. I think the horsemen should be uh, happy with this deal because it guarantees a safe future for them. But uh, we're going to see a Maryland racing uh, operation uh, into the future much different than what we see today. And uh, Randy and NBC, uh, get book, book your tickets to the uh, Laurel Inn or the Holiday Inn outside Laurel for the 2025 Freakness. Right. Uh, if this all comes right. to pass, uh, we think it probably will, but there have been other plans that uh, that were offered that didn't come to pass because of budgetary reasons, politics, whatever. Um, I think it's kind of fun to recap something here. Uh, there was an article in the Daily Racing Forum, a column, that talked about how Pimlico was in such a state of disrepair that it, it was hopeless. Uh, it would it would need to be torn down and rebuilt, and that wasn't financially feasible. So therefore, all Maryland racing needed to be moved to Laurel, including the Preakness states. The Maryland Jockey Club and the Maryland Racing Commission sent a letter to the governor of Maryland saying that Pimlico does not afford the facilities for the convenience and comfort of the public and the horsemen, which are necessary and desirable for a first class track. So what happened? The Maryland General Assembly, specifically the powerful Baltimore legislation, and I'm reading from a wire service story here, was uneasy over the prospect of the city of Baltimore losing the Preakness and the national advertisement and the sense of identity that the Preakness gives Baltimore, and also reluctant to lose the hotel and restaurant business if the Preakness was moved to Laurel. 1949. Oh, my goodness. This was 74 years ago. That's how long 
this has been going on. This sounds exactly like something that could have happened and probably did happen to a certain extent in the last four or five years. That may be his deepest dive yet. That may be the biggest rabbit hole he's ever dove into. I mean, we're going we're going back decades and decades and decades here. Oh, oh, my God. 1979? Yeah. Are you kidding me? 1949. Newspapers.com. Yeah, 49. 1949, Zoe. 74 years ago. So hopefully 2024 can uh, seal the deal a little better than than what was going on back in 1949, and we can all make this work out and come to a happy end. Holy shit. 1949. Oh, my God. I I just can't believe that. All right. Um, What are the triple crown purists going to think about this one? I mean, we're going to have asterisks all over the place for the next couple of years for the triple crown. I mean, it it is what it is. Going to Laurel won't be a, a big move as far as the race is concerned. The Laurel racetrack is a mile and 600 feet. That's almost a mile and eight. The stretch is 1,419 feet compared to Pimlico's, which is 1,152 feet. So you're going to get a little bit of a longer stretch, which isn't going to hurt anyone. It's better than having a shorter stretch. The only question that I really have going forward, and this this was noted in T.D. Thornton's article, is the turf course. Um, they're not planning, at least for now, on widening the turf course at Pimlico. And we all know that turf racing is at the fore of horse racing right now. The races are easier to fill. You get more starters per race. If you look at Laurel, 9.2 starters per race last year in 2023. So if they're not widening that turf course right now, it stands at, at, at uh, 95 feet. The one at Laurel is something like 142 feet with six lanes. So if they're not going to widen the Pimlico turf course, they're going to just make the turf racing smaller. I mean, you got six lanes at Laurel compared to two or three at Pimlico. So the plans have to move forward to make that turf course bigger, as far as I'm concerned. And what Pimlico does as well is give a break to Laurel's turf course. If they're just racing at Pimlico, it doesn't get a break. That That is my only negative thought as far as that. And that's purely on TDN's brilliant column in the TDN. Zoe, I understand what you're saying there, and it is going to be a problem. I don't know if they have, they probably don't have enough room to put in a Tapita course there. I I couldn't imagine, but the way things were going, uh, it was not sustainable. Something major had to happen here. I mean, Pimlico was literally crumbling to the ground. So, um, you know, I think they, they've taken a bad situation. And, you know, after we get through the Laurel, but that's so strange, the Preakness at Laurel, uh, after we get through a couple of those and uh, a new Pimico is up and built, I think everybody's going to look back at this as, as something that was much needed for Maryland Racing and uh, really moved it forward into the future. Couldn't agree more. Could not, after having to... To go to Pimlico for a, for a few years in a row, it definitely does need a revamp. I'm looking forward to it. It also would have worked in 1949, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> All right, Mr. Deep, uh, Mr. Deep Dive Rabbit Hole, uh, Randy Moss. TD and Writer's Room also brought to you by the PHBA, the Pennsylvania Horse Breeders Association. 
Drum roll, please. Oh, wait, that's the name of Pennsylvania's newest horse on the Kentucky Derby Trail, who won the Jerome Stakes on Saturday at Aqueduct for trainer Brad Cox, earning 10 points on the road to the Kentucky Derby. Drum roll, please. Bred in PA by Barlar LLC, was previously third in the Remsen, and he is Pennsylvania bred through and through his sire hard. Spun was a PA bred, as was his dam implied. Now, let's give kudos to the first, second, and third place finishers in the just-concluded 2023 PA Sire PA Bread Stallion Series that wrapped up December 27th at Parks. First, Aoife's Magic, bred by Moans Hill Farms. Second, Notice of Action, bred by Brian Minnick. And third, Jody's Ruby, bred by Gilman Hallenbeck. They earned their trainers 25 grand, 15 grand, and 10 grand, respectively. Now, for this coming year, the series will continue with a couple of minor tweaks. It'll still be six races. The first four will be for two-year-olds, and they'll carry it over to early 2025. So you'll get two-year-olds and three-year-olds in that six-race series next year. And also the series will be six furlongs and seven furlongs only. You can nominate your uh, eligible foals for $200 to the 2024 2025 series. That's due by GM 31st. If uh, you don't do it by then, then the fee will go up to $500. PA Bread, I think we've built uh, a brand at this point. The state of Pennsylvania has the best breeders program in the entire United States. Angel of Empire wins the Arkansas Derby and wins it clear. Caravelle in the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint. Pennsylvania and the PHBA have the best state-bred program in the country, bar none. The best Breeders' Awards and Stallion Awards in the country. Every sire hopes to have a son to follow in his footsteps. An impressive debut. For Munnings, that son is Jack Christopher. Jack Christopher to win the champagne. Unbeaten grade one winner at two. Dual grade one winner at three. And he is pouring it on here. It is Jack Christopher winning the grade one H. Allen Jerkins Memorial. Jack Christopher. It's time now for the Coolmore Stallion of the Week. And who is it this week? It's Jack Christopher, the best son of leading sire Munnings. Jack Christopher was five for five around one turn with three grade one wins. Chad Brown, his trainer, said of him, I've never had a horse with this much pure brilliance. I remember seeing Jack Christopher before his first race and watching him in the paddock, and I'll never forget that race in 2021 at Saratoga. He was bet heavily, a little unusual for a Chad Brown starter on the dirt, but boy, did he impress, winning by eight and three-quarter lengths. I knew then he was going to be a major player, and he proved he was just that with wins in the Champagne. Pat Daymile, Woody Stevens, and Alan Jerkins Memorial. Everything about him suggests he should be a terrific sire. Zoe, I know you were obviously impressed with him also. Yeah, and his very first start. And talk about keep it in the family. He now joins his sire at Coolmore, Munnings. So not only do they have Munnings, they have Jack Christopher as well. And, you know, we spoke about elite power earlier in the show. The only horse to beat elite power this year is Gunite. Do you know who Jack Christopher beat when he broke his maiden? Gunite. Do you know who he beat when he ran in the champagne? Gunite. I mean, looks like a no-brainer to me, doesn't it? So here's a shocker. Our Green Group Guest of the Week brought to you by the Green Group, our longtime TD and Writer's Room sponsor, a tax accounting and advisory firm specializing in the thoroughbred industry and design 
to save you money on your taxes. And we welcome in now the Green Group Guest of the Week, and it's Michael Blowen from Old Friends. He's been the man in charge there for many a year, and a surprising announcement came out last week. Michael is retiring and stepping down after so many years of good work, working with some of those old pros that he has uh, come into old friends. Michael, why are you retiring? What's up? Well, you know, Bill, you get a certain age and you can see the finish line. <laughs> it's like you turn it for home. You go, oh, there's a the finish line. So you better uh, you better figure out, you know, what's going to be happening, what you can do to make it a little a little better. And so I started looking for somebody a couple of years ago to take over and I could never find the right person. And then I ran into John Nicholson and I would probably still be doing this if I hadn't run into John because John was the perfect person. And I thought, boy, oh boy, if he'll do this, it would be great. And people who know John know that he ran the Kentucky horse park for a long time. He loves the horses. He's really well respected in the, in the thoroughbred community and the horse community around here. You know, he brought the world equestrian games to the horse park and he's a great guy and he loves the horses. And I thought, boy, if he'll do it, then, uh, then it's time for me to step aside because it's going to be really, it's going to take this place to a whole new level. It's going to be really great. Well, Michael, it's amazing what you've done for the horses and, and for the industry. I, when you started this project way back when, what did you have in mind? You couldn't have envisioned that it would get to where it is right now. How did all this ball start rolling to get old friends to where it is at this point? <laughs> uh, well, you know, my wife, Diane White, she was a very good columnist for years at the Boston Globe. And they, all the people always used to say, I love your wife's column and I remember your reviews when I was working there. And um, but they loved her. And I we both took the buyout at the Globe at the same time. And I just done a story uh, on the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation's great program with the prisons. And I come down here and and um, and there was a horse named Saratoga, Saratoga uh, character who was who was retired to the prison. I did a story and I got connected with the TRF and I really liked everything that they were doing. So simultaneously, I was uh, cleaning out some stuff and the TRF was having a charity event. So I had some stuff like, you know, glove Jack Nicholson wore in the, as the Joker. And I had some stuff they could auction off. And so I brought it up and it was the year of, it was the time of Point Givens Belmont. So as a retirement program uh, present to myself, I gave myself a trip to watch the Point Given Belmont. And the night before we had dinner with the TRF, I had dinner with the TRF people and somebody, it could have been Angel Penna Jr. It was somebody who had too much wine to drink. I know that offered me the job as the operations director for the TRF. And I, I thought it was a big joke and not much. And then the next day they reiterated it. So when I went home, I said to Diane, I said, you know, there's this thing. They might I might have this offer to, you know, go to the TRF. I said, that'll be fun. She goes, you've never done anything like that. I said, I know that. But, you know, what do we have to lose now? We're retired. We got the buyout. We got our Social Security. You know, our parents died. My Our son lives in Australia. I mean, <laughs> let's try it. And if we don't like it, we'll just come back. And then I came to... I decided to take it and we moved here. Oh, she did say to me, she says, well, I'll go with you, but only under one condition. And I said, what's that? And she says, well, when I leave you, you won't come looking for me. <laughs> but, but she's still here. And that was 20 years ago. And then I, 
you know, everything that we that we built on old friends is stolen. So I stole the name from Barbara Livingston's book. Now they think that poor Barbara's book's named after a farm. Which, <laughs> but anyway, we, we stole that. Then I went over to the horse park. Years ago, I, I went to Memphis to interview Jerry Lee Lewis. And on the way back, I stopped in Lexington because I wanted to see uh, Bold Forbes and Forgo who are at the horse park. So we stole that idea. And I thought, you know, when I was around the movie stars, I really didn't get that excited about it. But when we're around these racehorses, I, I just really get excited about it. I just think that they're amazing athletes. And I always thought that. And I was that way around these horses, the way a lot of these people were around movie stars. And and so uh, I thought, you know, if we did something like they're doing at the horse park and opened it up to more people that that would be good because, you know, the, 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 the crop of stallions, I mean, what do you do with a retired stallion? So the idea was when I first started it, I, after working and learning everything from the TRF, thank goodness, um, learning a lot, I did that for a year and a half. But then when, when that ended, I decided, oh, I'm going to try this and see, see what happens and see if we can't attract some visitors and make it into a tourism destination. Because, you know, all the really great places that retrain the horses, like New Vocations and Rerun and all, all of them and the TRF, I could never do anything like that because I don't know how to do any of that. But I do know how to feed them carrots and I do know how to feed them Mrs. Pasture's cookies. And I and I do adore them. And uh, so I said, there's got to be a little spot in there for that. And and then we started to get horses and started with a horse that was left, actually, at the Phasic Tipton Stale. And we were going to get stallions, but the first horse we ever retired was Narrow Escape, which is a great name because she was left at the sale at Basic Tipton. And Wendy Rice, who was running it at the time, called me and she says, are you are you started yet? And I said, well, I don't know. What do you got in mind? Because we hadn't. And uh, and she said, well, they left this horse here named Narrow Escape. And I thought, wow, what a great name for our first horse. <laughs> so we took her and then it started to grow and it started to grow. And then the unfortunate news about Ferdinand, you know, dying over in Japan came. And so we started working on getting horses home from Japan and, and that worked out really, really well. And now they have an old friends in Japan and uh, their logo is better than ours. Their farms nicer than ours. Their program's great. They have more money and, and, but now they have it. And so now we're working on getting horses home from Korea so we just brought any given Saturday home from Korea and he settled in very, very nicely. So the whole thing is not as so much of my vision at all, because I didn't ever envision it like this. I mean, not in my wildest dreams that I think I would end up with silver charm in my backyard. It's like people say, don't you go on vacation? I said, well, when I worked, I need vacation, but I don't need one. now. I go, I go away for three days. I get to stay for free at my at Ann's Washington Inn up at Saratoga. I could stay there for the whole meet if I wanted to. Uh, and yet after three days, I get homesick and I got to come home and hang around with these uh, these amazing horses. And they've they've certainly taught me a lot over the years. And I'm so grateful to them. I mean, they're the reason that all this is going on anyway. They're just, it's, it's so much more than I could ever have imagined or envisioned. And it taught me that in, in so many ways that the art creates the artist. It's not the other way around. Uh, it just gets bigger and you're kind of, kind of reacting to circumstances and reacting to horses. And I, I have a horse here, Bill, I have a horse here that I claimed for $3,500 at Finger Lakes in 1999 on Mother's Day, and he's still with me. 
name summer attractions. We have everything from Silver Charm to this this horse I had all these years ago, and everything in between. And I mean, I'm so excited because now I got Silver Charm in my backyard, and I have Red Knight and Channel Maker in the same paddock in the front yard, and. They they ran against each other eight times over their long careers. They retired completely sound. They were really well taken care of. Uh, and they became friends in about 30 seconds. And they play every day and they, they, do, wow. they eat together. Wow. They drink together. They roll around together. They play halter tag together. They just adore each other. They look the same. And it's just uh, I never lost a feeling of what a thrill it is every day to wake up here. I really haven't. It's just fun. So All right. cool. Well, come on. You're let's have it. You're not retiring. We know you better than that. There's no, no, no. way you're gonna close the door well, on that and disappear. Well, I'm gonna try come and stay on. out of yeah. There's no way I'm gonna try and stay out of stay out of poor John's way as much as possible and let him let him do the job. But yeah, I'll, I'm gonna do tours and I'm gonna feed the horses carrots. They'll have to drag me out of here. I told my wife when I die, you know, the, 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 the house where we live in, we have a great house here. And the back the backyard is uh, one of the we have two cemeteries. And I told my wife when I die, get me cremated, throw my ashes out the back. Just don't put my lifetime earnings on the sign. But that's where that's what I hope will, uh, they'll have to drag me out because <laughs> it's fun. Can I, can I ask and, how old you are? Yeah, I'm going to be Bob Baffert and I have the same birthday. January 13th. So I'm going to be 77, you know, whenever that is pretty soon. That's Saturday. 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 Yeah. All days are the same. But I know one of the great things I have is is one of the great things about retiring is I I haven't bought a, a racing form for a Wednesday in decades. And now I have my racing form for for tomorrow. Gonna have fun, Michael. Of all the of all the special horses you've had there, the one you speak most glowingly about is Silver Charm. It seems like you have an extra special relationship with him. Is that so, and why? Well, obviously, I, I you know I spent my life sucking up to celebrities, so you know he's a celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> he's in the Hall of Fame. Um, but I don't know what it was. It was when I was working for Carlos, actually, and I was bringing some old horse up to the races at Suffolk on Derby Day. And um, and uh, I was trying to get him into the race so that I could just get over there and watch Silver Charm on TV. And I saw what he did that day, and he wouldn't let those horses pass him no matter what. And I just fell in love with him. And I liked, I liked the way the Lewises reacted. You know, I liked... I liked the way everybody was so excited. And then I, I just loved this horse. And then I found out he was, uh, when I came to Kentucky, he had already gone to Japan. He spent, uh, he was 11 years in Japan as a breeding stallion, but the Lewis's left an endowment. They left money to bring him home. They left and they left, a, and we he gets a $10,000 annual endowment. So they really cared about him and they made sure that everything was going to be okay. Even though Bob and Beverly have both passed away, there's he's still taken care of by their son, Jeff. But anyway, I don't know. It's hard for me to explain it in one way because it's hard to explain why you fall in love with somebody. You know, you fall in love with a person, you fall, whatever you fall in love with, no matter what happens, your life's going to change. Um, and, and, and when Sandy Hatfield called me 
in, in November of 2015 and said, how would you like an old gray stallion at your farm? I freaked out. The only problem was I couldn't tell anybody. They were supposed to keep it a secret. And then I I did keep it a secret, which is probably the only secret I ever kept in my life. But I, I kept that one. And when he got here on December 1st, 2015, it was the greatest day of my life. And the, and I didn't even know him because that's the first time I ever laid eyes on him in person is when he got off the trailer on that day. But I, I knew I, I was totally enthralled. And I realized I started to realize because I spent I was started to spend some time with him, how smart he was really, really, really smart. If you could go to the sale now and. And uh, and just and have an IQ test for these horses, I, I'll take, you know, Silver Charms breedings mediocre at best. That's kind. He's he his confirmation is not very good. I mean, if you know, he passed through the sale a couple of times for cheap money. He's a. And and yet he won all these races. One of the one of the great things in my life is that the house is right there. And then we had Silver Charm in one paddock. And in the neighboring paddock, uh, Princess Hissa donated Swain dots. So I had Swain on one side of him and I have Touch Gold who beat him in the Belmont ruined his triple crown on the other side of him. And he's in the middle and I'm out there going, you got to be kidding me. How did this ever happen? How did this ever, mm-hmm. ever happen? And the idea that these people now will trust us with these horses and and uh, and uh, uh, Sheikh Mohammed just uh, brought Alpha home from Brazil and he gave us uh, Alpha. So Alpha's here. And the other thing is, I think a lot of people, when they reach a certain age, like old, um, <laughs> uh, they get bored. You know, they just they're just bored. They don't, just don't have anything to do. And I told Diane when we moved here, we're going to die of something. But just two things we're not dying of shoveling snow and boredom. And so far, both of those things have been true. We're still alive and we'll probably pass on to something else, but it won't be boredom. Too exciting. So if I've got my if I've got my math right, Michael, Silver Charm just had a pretty important birthday on Jan 1. Right. I think he turned the big yes, three. Well, yes. His yes, so, his actual birthday is on February twenty second, the same as George Washington. <laughs> and I, there's a lot of parallels. But anyway, uh, uh, yeah, he's thirty years old. He slowed down a little. Wow. He says I've slowed down a little too, and uh, but he's doing good. He knows how to take care. Again, he's very very smart. He knows how to take care of himself. And the only thing I tell the people at work here, and we're really fortunate because after 20 years, we finally have a team that's going to win the World Series. We finally put a team on the field, but there's no weakness at second base. It's just the people at work here, both in the office and on the farm, are like, it's 100% perfect. And that's another reason that I'm not at all worried about doing stopping doing whatever I do, uh, because the team is so, so uh, phenomenal. And they take care of the horses. And the only thing I tell them is this. When these horses get here, they, they've been told what to do their entire lives. You know, some of them have come from, you know, racing and breeding careers. Some have had racing careers and careers uh, in eventing and, and, and all of that. They, but they've always been told what to do. And when they come here, we have to find out what they want and let them tell us what they want. And it sounds kind of facile to say that, but it's, it's absolutely true. Like for Silver Charm, he um, he doesn't like getting petted, 
And he didn't like the cars at night with the lights. Other than that, everything was fine. You can lead him around with dental fuss and he'll, he'll be fine. He just, those are the two things. And those are the only two things. You know, War Emblem didn't like anything. Liked <laughs> he liked himself. <laughs> he, didn't like <laughs> he didn't like much, but he was. Uh, a- Michael, I've got two. Michael, I've got two quick questions. Uh, the first one, I hope he's still alive. Little Silver Charm, how is he? And the Little second Silver one, Charm is fine. What are he's still alive. To- What's that, Kazoe? And yeah, he's good. Yeah, he is. What are your hopes for old friends moving forward now with your new CEO in place? Well, you know, we, we don't have the uh, luxury of adopting horses out. Uh, when I first started old friends, I adopted a couple of them out and I wasn't sure that they ended up exactly the way they should have. And I'm still not sure. I don't really know. It's very vague and all that kind of stuff. But I said, you know, from now on, we're not adopting anybody out. I'm not taking any chances. Now, I will say that one of the greatest things that's ever happened to aftercare is the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance, and, and their their uh, qualification system for being accredited is unbelievable. Uh, we've got audited. We've been audited by the IRS, and we've been you know we had to go through the accreditation for the TAA, and the TAA is ten times harder than the IRS. So, I I, I think that idea of, of having horses that can go from, you know, I think that's a great safety net. But I just fall in love with all these horses and we take all the horses unconditionally. So people are under no financial obligations to take them. If we take the horse, their only responsibility is getting the horse to the farm. And after that, we take care of everything. And we've been very lucky. I mean, you know, we're just down the road from Rude and Riddle. I mean, game on dude, I think... The idea that we're so close to Rude and Riddle saved Game on Dude's life when he had the colic surgery because he's in the trailer and off there and it's 14 minutes, you know, half an hour be, from the time you notice that there's something wrong till the time he's in the clinics a half an hour. Um, we've just been very fortunate that way. And I really pride us. I pride this farm on that they get health care as if as if they're going to the Derby. Well, Michael, we want to thank you so much. This has been a delightful uh, discussion, and uh, we really appreciate, and I speak for the whole racing industry, all the great work you've done with these old pros. And it's uh, even when Michael's not there, you got to go visit old friends because it's gonna, it's a very, very special place, and you too can see some of these uh, heroes of yesteryear. Michael Blowen, thanks for being the Green Group Guest of the Week. Thank you, Bill. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, Randy. Thanks, Zoe. Thank everybody. Just come visit these horses. I think you'll have a good time. And if you don't, I'll give you your money back. As the Green Group Guest of the Week, Mr. Michael Blowen will receive a free one-hour tax consultation from the Green Group and Lynn Green. For more information on how they can save you taxes as well, you can visit www.greenco.com. Are you paying too much in taxes? The Green Group can help. There's a reason the most successful owners, breeders, and horsemen select the Green Group as their tax advisors. They save you money and share successful strategies. Over the past 40 years, the Green Group founder, Len Green, has owned and bred some of the best racehorses in the history of the sport, like Eclipse Award-winning champions Jaywalk and Wonderwheel. His DJ stable competes at the highest level and has received the game's most prestigious honors. 
Len Green's in-depth, hands-on industry knowledge, combined with cutting-edge tax-saving strategies, has produced positive results for his clientele and has made the Green Group the top-rated accounting and tax firm in the thoroughbred business. For a confidential and complimentary consultation, contact us at 732-634-5100 or visit our website at www.greenco.com. The Green Group, proven strategies to save you taxes. So the Santa Anita meet is well underway. What's going on at Santa Anita, Zoe? First things first, what do you have for us? We had a couple of great stakes this past weekend, of course. We'll, we'll skip on Muth and the San Vincent for a moment, but we're going to touch on Dick Mandela and Copion, who I caught up with just a couple of days ago. Here's first things first. Richard, how proud were you yesterday of your Phillies impressive win? Very proud, especially being in Omaha Beach kind of makes it special. But uh, she's been a beautiful filly from the first day we saw her and always trained well. So we had high hopes and she fulfilled them. Has she ever surprised you in anything she's done? When I worked her with camera, she didn't want to work with her and give it much. That's the only time she did anything wrong. Can you give us an update on Tamara and how she's doing? Tamara's just about completely healed. Uh, She had a little crack in her splint bone in a hind leg, and that's just about perfectly healed and probably be back starting to train in a couple weeks. And as far as Copian is concerned, she's already, people are talking about on the road to the Kentucky Oaks, she picks up 10 points. Would you just assume to go the regular route with her? I'm not sure what regular is, (laughs) but uh, she'll probably run. We'll find a two turn race next time. All right. And talk a little bit about Omaha Beach and how proud you are to train some of his progeny. His first graded stakes winner yesterday. Yeah, very proud. Frustrated. I didn't get enough on. There's still time, Richard. There's still time. There you go. You've mentioned before he's one of your favorites. Can you just expound on that no he just temperament class looks he had everything you need Thank ability you. many thanks to dick mandela and just really cool to see he was rushing off to meet the Tim Mann's owner all right do want to remind you that racing does continue at santa anita We're a little bit later, 12.30 post time, Saturday, Sunday, and of course, Friday. We do celebrate the Cowbreds on Saturday with five stakes highlighted by the Cal Derby and the Cal Oaks. These five stakes totaling $900,000. It pays to own a Cowbred as well as we have burgers and brews. And I know, guys, Randy loves his burgers and brews, don't you, Randy? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Put a little green chilies on the burgers. Maybe have a margarita ready on the side to go with your brew. Oh, yeah. Margarita on the side of a beer. I'm impressed. (laughs) So how about Copian winning the uh, Santa Ynez? So, I mean, obviously, she looked extremely impressive, but there is a big but here. Four horse field. What do you think? Well, she can't help who she started against. And I made a big case for Phaser last year and that came back to bite me in the bum. 
um, a little bit later on in the year, but that, but that's okay. She's a good filly. I know that Jessie Piper was getting on her earlier in the year and she actually came to me in the spring was like, there's this filly over there. I don't know who she's by, but she's the real deal. And she's been on enough to know. And that is Copion. Um, she's bred to be a good one. You know, she's a half sister to, um, Amy's Gizmo and Amy's Flatter. She's out of a sovereign award winning broodmare of the year. So that doesn't hurt. She's out of a victory gallop mare. Did you know apparently he's still breeding mares at age 29? What? what? There's hope for Bill. There's no. hope for Bill, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Now, now, Zoe. I couldn't help myself. But yeah, 29, no. he's in Turkey, apparently. We've, we have to look that up because I find that hard to believe. All right. So the story of that of that particular race, the Santa Inez, I mean, it was only a four horse field, as Bill pointed out. And I agree with you, Zoe, you can only beat who you're in against. Of the four horses, two of them were clearly hustled into the race. So it would go to begin with. They were completely no hope horses. So there was only really one other horse in the race that on paper could have uh, could have given a copy on any kind of competition at all. And that was a filly called Tambo who went to her face coming out of the starting gate, stumbled badly at the start, completely costing her any chance. She was back last early. So at that point, it became just uh, just a public workout, really, for Copia. How about? Uh, but she looked impressive. She looked impressive yeah, doing she... it. And what's, what's further interesting, Zoe, is that in the Dick Mandela stable route, you've got uh, Tamara also who's sitting on the sidelines getting ready to come back. So uh, Mandela might have a double-barreled attack uh, as we look forward now to the Kentucky Oaks. Yeah, back to Copion. She was very green as well. When she left the starting gate, she almost hooked a left and made a left-hand turn. She, she definitely tried to jinx at the gap there. I think there's a lot more to come. I really do. Okay, so the day before the San Vicente, guess who won? Bob Baffer for the 12th time, first and second with Muth over stable mate pilot commander. Um, he Interesting uh, way Baffert's handled this horse. Uh, the horse is, last two starts are around two turns, including the second in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile and a win in American Pharaoh. He chose to put him back in a sprint race at seven furlongs. Um, yeah, he's good. He belongs uh, in the A class, I believe, of the Baffert horses. I'm sure uh, there's at least 10 or 11 that are going to take a crack at the Kentucky Derby. Uh, did what he had to do, got a 91 buyer. Um, so I give him a grade of an A minus. I'm going to give you a little bit of a different take. All right. I I'm going to give it a C minus. I was not impressed at all with Muth's win in the San Vicente. Um, he went the last quarter mile in 25.54 seconds, which for a uh, Kentucky Derby type contender, going seven furlongs uh, in a race like the San Vicente is not fast, not fast at all. And it was really kind of an optical illusion. He was pulling away from his stablemate pilot commander, okay? But pilot commander, who had been up on the pace with Slider, went his last 16th of a mile in right at 6.9 seconds, almost a seven-second final 16th for pilot commander, which is why Muth was pulling away. Uh, the 91 buyer speed figure was projected up. It actually would have been lower based on the final time of 123.01. Uh, I was disappointed in Muth's win. And I think going forward until he 
rebounds in my eyes and shows me something else. The next time he runs, I think, uh, uh, from my standpoint anyway, Muth will be a bet against. I thought he would air going back to one turn, considering the way he has worked. Now, the pair of them did surprise Bob a little bit. He mentioned afterwards that he thought that um, Muth would be on the lead and Pilot Commander would be stalking. So already that just goes to show you maybe Muth wasn't having the best day of his life that day because if Bob thought he was sharp enough to be on the lead and beat Pilot Commander... What happened? No one really took a stutter step out of the gate. It was a fairly clean break. And in contrast, when you look at the times of the race, 123.01 for the boys, Muth, and then you look at Copion, 123.89. Now, she did it in a hammerlock in a paid workout, and and he wasn't. So I, I'm with Randy here. I really am. But he might have been having an off day because he's a sharp horse, and to one turn, he should have been right there. And you can also kind of tell how slow they finished the race by watching Slider. Yeah. Uh, Slider was up on the pace with Pilot Commander stalking, right? Muth and Pilot Commander both put away Slider pretty convincingly at the quarter pole turning for home. And yet when they hit the wire, Slider had almost fought back again to pass Pilot Commander. They finished heads apart at the wire for second and third. And that kind of tells you right there that they weren't going that fast up front. Yeah, but can any of them be crimson light down the road? And boy, if you haven't seen this race uh, on the re- one of the replay channels, this was about the craziest thing I have ever seen. Crimson Light was a first-time starter, trained by Todd Fletcher, owned by uh, Mandy Pope's Whisper Hill Farm. And here is what the trackman had to say uh, of, of him coming out of the gate. Uh, Crimson Light veered in at the start, brushing the gate and then start strike and then struck the temporary railing while bucking a bit under uh, correction, conceded a minimum of 20 lengths to the leader before settling into stride. This was like something you'd see in, in one of those old movies, you know, of a fake horse race and the horse gets so far behind and like, you know, he's being ridden by um uh, Mickey Rooney, and, and, and you know, he's going to have to pass all the horses. The first call uh, of the race, he was 23 lengths behind. And he did at the start, he like bucked and like stopped and came to a complete standstill. The rest of the field took off. Somehow, some way, he won this race. TDN gave him a rising star performance out of it. Uh, it'll be fascinating to see what this horse does next time out. In, in fact, he can get out of the gate. Also, I want to give uh, Kendrick Carmouche, the, the jockey, uh, some credit. I think a lot of riders would have just just said forget about it and just let the horse gallop around the racetrack 20, 30 lengths behind the rest of the field. He, he, he did not give up, and to his credit. But, uh, you, you know, good. I don't necessarily know what this means about this horse going forward. Randy, I believe the race got a terrible buyer number. Was it a 59 or something? Yeah, I think 57, 57 yeah. something like but, that. Buyers figured. New York Breds, they were really, really uh, slowing down the last part of the race over a very deep and tiring he, surface. He got a aqueduct. 57 spotting the field, 25 lengths. So that, however that yeah, commutes, yeah, I don't so. know. But uh, Zoe, what'd yeah. you think of this guy? I mean, it's Kendrick back to his Cajun roots. That's what he credited it with. You know, they call them all mud bugs down there. And that's exactly what he was. The horse leapt in the air and then he actually tried to jump the temporary rail. That's where the the hopping came that looked like a buck. He tried to jump it. I don't know how Kendrick stayed on him. He managed to gather him back up and just 
see where the horse took him. I mean, he was on the favorite, so I guess he figured he would just get him together and just see what happens. But he was very, very visually impressive, I think is the word we need to use. Yeah, and- I think the buyer was maybe even lower. I, I think I read 53 or 51. We'll, we'll have to figure that out. Okay. Yeah. Well, and to put a little different spin on this, if you go back and watch the video, and we encourage that you do, uh, you really need to yes. watch the head-on replay, which gives you the, uh, the really good view of what happened leaving the gate. And it also gives you a really good view of what happened in the final 16th of a mile. The horse should have been disqualified, right? But thanks to our wonderful friends in the New York steward stand, uh, the worst stewards in my lifetime as far as adjudicating foul claims uh, they did put up the inquiry sign to they their did. credit, uh, but the number was but the number was left up. Yeah, it's my personal opinion. Other people might see it differently. One way or another, a remarkable race. We'll keep our eyes on Crimson Light and see if he can um, get out. First of all, get out of the gate next time, and what happens if he does. The TDM Writers Room is brought to you by XBTV. This week's work of the week is Nisos. He turned in a sparkling five furlong work in 59 flat on Sunday morning. That's him on the outside working in company with Coach Prime on the rail. And if you know anything about Bob Baffert's work ethic, the better horses always go on the outside. Nisos is two for two, breaking his maiden in October at Santa Anita. And then he went on to win the grade three Bob Hope Stakes in November at Del Mar. Bob's not decided where Nisos will make his next start, but we'll see where he makes his three-year-old debut. I have an inkling it's going to be a stake somewhere. All the thrills. Fraction of the bills. Experience the power of the partnership. Change your life, make new friends, and compete at the highest level of thoroughbred racing. West Point Thoroughbreds, the gold standard in racing partnerships. Visit westpointtb.com. The TD and Riders Room also brought to you by West Point Thoroughbreds. West Point picked up its first win of the year with Cavu. At Gulfstream Park, Sunday's first race. And they also had Slider, who we talked about, was a nice third in that San Vicente. Now, going forward, uh, uh, West Point could have three horses in Triple Crown prep races coming up. They may give Slider a chance to carry his speed around two turns for the very first time in an as-yet-undetermined prep. They also have Scatify, who, like Slider, is trained by John Sadler. He's a son of Justify, who looked good at Los Al breaking his maiden. Feb 3, Robert B. Lewis is the target for Scatify. And Stretch Ride, trained by Dale Romans, who's being pointed for the March 2nd Fountain of Youth at Gulfstream. If you are interested in joining a West Point partnership and vaulting into the world of instant camaraderie, you may find out more at westpointtb.com. All right, guys, that's a wrap on this week's show. I want to thank my partner, Zoe Cadman, Randy Moss. I want to thank our co-producers, Katie Petruniak, Anthony LaRocca, and our editors, Aliyah LaRocca and Nathan Wilkinson. And guys, we're Eclipse Award winners. Woo! Randy's and Lucy, two. Hi, Randy's Lucy. two, just so you know. Randy gets two this year to add to his mantle. 
Well, that's right. NBC, yeah, NBC won the award for yeah. the Breeders' Cup. So that's they have a pretty nice Eclipse Award trophy collection sure. going on there. No doubt. Well deserved. Mm-hmm.